Southerners have long created the storylines that shape the nation, and in some ways the world. We have planted the seeds that spark global movements. As goes the South, so goes the nation. Never in our lifetime has that been more true. Whether it's fighting for racial justice, ending health disparities, fighting for voting rights by organizing people around common goals, these issues, and the Southerners leading the charge over them, are going to set the tempo for the 2020 elections. This season of The Reckon Interview, we're digging into the stories and people beyond the polls and partisanship. We're speaking with the community leaders and fresh young voices doing the work of building the future South, on the ground and out of the spotlight. If you're looking for another political podcast to handicap the horse race, there are plenty of them out there. But we want you to join us as we explore the Southern issues, trends, and movements that matter most. And hopefully learn how to plant our own seeds of change. So subscribe to The Reckon Interview wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. The worst part of it is we did everything right. Like we see all of our friends go out and have fun and go on vacation, and we have been hermits. Today we hear from Elizabeth Cross, a client experience consultant who lives in Salem, Alabama, part of Lee County, also where her 19-year-old daughter attends Auburn University. Recently, Elizabeth and her family of five all contracted COVID-19. She turns 37 today, and her husband is 48, and they've lived what she calls a pretty dull life during the pandemic. They practice social distancing, they don't leave the house often, only for groceries and takeout food, they avoid going out. They're playing by the rules of the pandemic. But two weeks after the fall semester began at Auburn University, they had their daughter back for dinner with the family. And while her daughter had been responsible and adhered to the same guidelines that they did, she and her friends held a party at their apartment prior to the dinner. And then the following Sunday, she had symptoms. Sure enough, she tested positive. And the rest of the family also contracted COVID. It's been two weeks since their exposure. And Elizabeth says that she and her husband are in a world of hurt. She took him to the ER last Friday night, and she said that she feared for his life. Her daughter is now fully recovered. Elizabeth reached out to share their story, partially because she doesn't think college students fully understand the gravity of the COVID situation and how their actions have consequences for their families and surrounding communities. I spoke to Elizabeth about her family's experience with COVID-19 the challenges that she and her husband continue to face after infection, and how college students' actions on and off campus impact their families and their communities. Elizabeth Cross. I live in Salem, Alabama, and I'm a client experience consultant uh, working for TSIS out of Columbus, Georgia. I'm 36, and my husband is 48. You said that you and your husband have been a model family when it comes to social distancing and avoiding COVID. How do you mean exactly? We don't go anywhere. So our thing, if our employer was allowing us to work from home to be safe, we should try to be safe and not spread it throughout the community. We don't want to get it. So we've stayed at home. We only go to the grocery store um, and Sam's. Um, I think we went to a brewery one time and we haven't been back. So we just, we get takeout food. We, we don't go anywhere. We don't interact with our friends. We have a fantasy football draft that we do every year. We normally have 20 people at our house. We canceled it. We did it through Google Meets. I mean, we've, we've done everything. You're, we wear masks. We sanitize. We've done everything you're supposed to do. 
Yeah, I mean, the way you described it to me when you emailed me, it was you, it's a pretty dull life, right? Like, but I mean, in the COVID world, that's a safe life, right? So, I mean, you've probably felt like you've been doing everything right, and you felt relatively safe during all this. Yes, I mean, within reason. You you don't know. This has taught us that you you can't trust even the people that you think are making the right decisions because you don't know what they did before they even, you know, came in contact with you. So it's just, it's really weird. Yeah. And so you said your only mistake was allowing your Auburn college student daughter to come home for dinner after two weeks of being on campus at AU. Why was that a mistake? What happened? Uh, She has three other roommates um, and they are, doing the Greek life thing. You know, they participated in bid day and all of that. And I think she just fell into the peer pressure trap of hanging out with them, um, you know, going downtown, having a get together at their apartment, which she knows better. She shouldn't have done it. And she wasn't really forthcoming when she was supposed to come to dinner at our house. So our mistake was just hanging out with our daughter, which is crazy. Um, But hanging out with our daughter in our own house was our mistake. We, we shouldn't have done it. You know, the, the benefit of having a college student live pretty close to you is that you get to see them more often and monitor them and be there for them. I don't know if that's a benefit anymore. Well, and you said that your daughter had been doing the right things, right? She was being safe prior to going to school and you think she gave in to peer pressures. That's something that she's expressed since this has all happened. Like, how would she describe her experience? Um, I think she felt, you know, three of or if her roommates want to hang out with a bunch of people, then, you know, she can only avoid it so much. She's out, she's outvoted, right? So kind of is what it is with that when you have roommates. But I'm not going to absolve her of the responsibility either. I mean, she, she knows better. So I, I think it's just a little bit of peer pressure. It's also they're away from the house and, you know, they can make crazy decisions. Uh, but she was great when she was at our house. Um, I mean, she was wearing a mask. Um, before we even were, before the CDC said to, to wear a mask. So I think it's just, you know, a matter of being away from home and doing what college students do. Well, and so it's been two weeks since you were exposed and you've described what's happening to you both, you and your husband, as being in a world of hurt. What does that mean exactly? So um, blurry vision, nausea, fevers achiness. The crazy thing about COVID is you can feel bad for three or four days and then you feel good for a day and you think, okay, I'm, I'm over this. Everything's great now. And then it comes back again. So the, the symptoms just kind of come and go. My husband has the worst of it. I was lucky and got an inhaler and Z-Pack um, from my doctor. I did a telemedicine appointment pretty early on. And I swear that helped me. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know for sure, but I was better off after that. My husband's doctor didn't prescribe him anything, didn't give him anything, just told him like over-the-counter stuff. And he went downhill uh, pretty fast. So he has a comorbidity. He has um, high blood pressure. He takes medication for it, but I think that um, impacted him negatively along with just his age. So it hit his lungs. So we're talking coughing so much you can't breathe and then suppressing the cough. Uh, by not breathing, you know, kind of breathing shallow so you don't cough that much. So it, it was bad. We had to take him to the ER and, um, you know, I have it myself. I couldn't go in. So I just see him kind of walk in by himself. They did chest x-ray. Thankfully, he didn't have any fluid, but he had uh, pneumoniositis, which is where you have a bunch of irritation in your in your lungs. So we had to monitor his blood oxygen levels. And it was just bad. A fever for 10 days, like 
I mean, it's not a high fever, but you get a fever for, he had a fever for 10 days, which makes you feel miserable. So, I mean, I couldn't talk to him for days because when I tried to talk to him, he would just cough some more. It's just a feeling of helplessness, despair, depression. There's nothing you can do. Nobody knows what to do. And unless you have fluid in your lungs, they're not going to give you an oxygen uh, machine or, or anything. You're not going to be hooked up to a ventilator, which is good in our case because I've heard that once that happens, it's downhill from there. But it was it was pretty scary. But, you know, our daughter, she recovered pretty fast from it. I mean, she had some congestion for a few days. The, the first day she had a fever and soreness and, you know, she she felt really bad, but she recovered pretty quickly. But um can't say the same for us. It's been been like 14 days and we're still we're still not okay when did you get tested when did you think oh i need to get tested now did your daughter show symptoms first and then you decided well i've been exposed to her so now i should get tested how did that work yeah so um they had their party which is where we think she got it um friday um and then she came over to our house saturday afternoon and she spent the night here and went back to her apartment Sunday afternoon. When she entered the apartment, she found out her other roommate had a fever and was throwing up and she had really bad um, symptoms. And almost immediately she started feeling bad. So she called us and let us know that she had a fever, that her roommate had COVID symptoms. And at that point, we knew it was too late. I mean, I don't remember her coughing or sneezing one time around us, which, which is scary of how contagious this is, just her breathing. Um, we just, we knew we had it. So we just stayed at home. We don't go anywhere anyway. And we did an at-home test. Um, so we didn't have to potentially infect anybody else just going to the testing place. She went to the Auburn Med Clinic and got tested. Um, but we, we knew she already had it, even if it came back negative, but it came back positive. And then my husband and I got tested. We actually have another daughter, an older daughter, um, that had dinner with us as well. She and her boyfriend got tested and every, everybody was positive. So we knew when she started having those symptoms that because COVID is going around, we absolutely had it. This wasn't the flu. Um, so it was, it was a no-brainer at that point. And then, then we started feeling the symptoms. And you said that you were pretty fearful for your husband's life after you took him to the ER. I mean, what was that like? It was, it's, it's an emotional, it's a physical and emotional roller coaster because there's nothing you can do. Um, and nobody really knows what to do. Um, outside of being admitted to the hospital. And they said, believe it or not, they said that this is a mild case. So I cannot imagine what it's like to have a severe case. But he's on the couch. He's having difficulty breathing. He's plugged into, we have like a blood oxygen meter thing. And it was reading in the low 90s, which isn't great, but it's not enough to go to the hospital. So you're just watching your husband fall apart. And there's there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. I mean, over-the-counter medicines weren't even working anymore for his fever. So it was it was emotionally draining and you're trying to be strong, but I mean, you're having issues too. So it, it was, it was rough. I'm glad he's doing better now, but even like his better is incrementally better than what he was just a few days ago. It, it's crazy. So it's not like you see one day where he's, he's improved drastically. It's just small improvements. Um, so he's able to walk around now and, and doing a lot better, but it, it was just a feeling of despair and, and depression. Be the only way to describe it. Like you think your husband is going to die. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I can't imagine how scary that must have been and must be, but I'm glad he's feeling better. And are y'all planning to get retested anytime soon? You said you're still kind of in it. You're not 
fully recovered yet? Like, what is the plan and what is the timeline for you now? I have a doctor's appointment in a week, and I want to get tested for the antibodies um, and then donate them if we can. So that that's the the plan. But we're not we're not going anywhere. I still have friends and family dropping off things to us because I I don't know if we're still contagious. They they say not, but there's varying information out there on when. Um, on how long you're actually contagious for. So I don't I don't want to take any chances. So next week I'll contact uh, or go to my doctor, get the antibody test, and then go from there. How about your daughter? I mean, if you don't mind sharing, I know that this, this is a very personal story because this is all within your family, but how are things there? I mean, she goes to college to, to learn, right? And obviously this is going to be a big lesson for everybody, even though y'all have been so careful. But you mentioned earlier her responsibility, her accountability. What have those conversations been like throughout this process now that hopefully y'all are on the tail end of it? Yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, she's 19 years old, so I don't know if they fully grasp um, ramifications for their actions. But, you know, we're still talking to her. We're not happy about the situation. Um, She wanted to come over the other day and help us out because she's feeling better. But, you know, we're like, no, stay away um, because we don't know if she's going to potentially infect us with another strain because they don't really know if you can, you know, get this again. So it's it's been fine. I mean, it is what it is. We can't put the genie back in the bottle, but we're definitely keeping our distance and making sure that she's aware that her actions have caused this. But we don't have like a strained relationship or anything. We're just going to do the FaceTime thing to interact with her and keep our distance until the semester's over with. And before the semester's over with, we're going to ask her to get tested um, before she comes back um, over here. Um, she said she had a conversation with her roommates about everybody being personally accountable for for everything, but you know, you can't you can't trust what somebody else is going to do. And I think that's the the scariest thing about this is you're asking teenagers and people in their early 20s to make adult decisions that I don't think they have the capacity to make. So they think you know, I hung out with this friend. This friend says she's not going anywhere. Well, how do you know that friend's being truthful? How do you know that friend didn't go hang out at some sorority event? Or they hung out with somebody else that, that hung out at a sorority event because the stuff is so contagious, they could be walking around with it and not even know. Two of her roommates out of the four were asymptomatic. So they were just walking around and didn't even know they had it. Um, so it, it's scary, but, you know, she's our daughter. We love her. But, um, you know, it, it really, really makes you uh, question their decision-making capabilities. Is she fully recovered? Was she? Has she tested negative? When she was positive, did she quarantine on campus? What was that whole thing like? So once she got it, she quarantined, um, and she filled out the online app thing, which is a joke. Um, but she filled that out, and they wouldn't let her go back. But something they told her, which I I don't agree with, is if you don't have a fever for like I don't know forty eight hours, and you haven't had symptoms for a few days. You can go back on campus. They don't make them retest. Um, and I don't understand why they don't retest them. That, that's basically what they told her. But she did quarantine. And I know she went and got another test just on her own, just because she, she wanted to get another test. Um, and it came back um, negative. So, um, But they didn't require it. And I, I don't know why that's not the case. But honestly, I don't think these kids are getting it in class. I think these kids are getting it at outside events. And they're just spreading it around amongst each other. But I definitely don't think it's it's in class. I have no evidence to support this, but I just know that the bars are packed downtown and they're hanging out and they're doing their, their Greek thing. And I just tend to think that's where they're getting it. 
Well, how have you felt about the university's response and handling of the pandemic? I know that they've been doing in-person classes, but there are obviously cases on campus that are concerning. As a parent of a student who's on campus, how have you felt about how it's been handled there? I don't know if there's a right way to handle it. I think they want kids back in in the classroom because there's revenue associated with it and there's revenue associated with the surrounding area. But I don't think the university can, can control what these kids do off campus. I don't think their helpline that they have, that, that the kids are supposed to call, she had to call like 45 times um, to get through. And she wanted to go and test somewhere else uh, locally, but they wouldn't recognize that test. So she had to go through the AU med clinic. So I, I think that they could have done a little better with, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the new reality is. This new reality is just crazy to me. Like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So I'm not thrilled with with everything, but I don't necessarily know that it's the university's fault as much as it is you're dealing with teenagers and people in their early 20s that don't have proper judgment. What's something that you've experienced with COVID that you didn't expect and that people may not know? Blurry vision and spaciness. Like, Somebody described it as COVID brain, like you can't really formulate sentences, you can't can't really think clearly, and, and the blurry vision. So those were things that I had no idea that you could get from this. And then I had horrible migraines. I heard that you can get headaches with this, but it was beyond just a standard headache. It was, it was a migraine. Um, and then the last thing is what it does for you emotionally, not knowing what to expect, not knowing, you know, if, if you can get help. It's just that feeling of despair, which I don't think... Nobody explains the, the emotional toll of this. What's your message to others with children in school right now? Or, or your message to those kids currently enrolled in colleges that are still holding in-person classes? They need to be careful of who they hang around with. So even if they're making the right choices, if, if they happen to hang around with just one friend and they think they're safe, they're, they're not safe. Absolutely do not hang around your friends, your uh, family. You know, I'm 36, so I thought it wouldn't be so bad for me, but it was it was absolutely horrible. Um, not as bad as my husband. I oh, am yeah, my husband just reminded me I turn 37 tomorrow. <laughs> but just don't hang around your family. Stay away from your family um, and get tested before you you do decide to hang around them. And make sure you're not in contact with anybody else between the time that you have the test and the time that that you see your family. Elizabeth, thank you so much and happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thank you for listening.